Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Luca Parry. It's great to be back with you all. And thank you for joining for what's going to be a really interesting series of conversations with pretty amazing human beings, uh, many of whom are associated in education and, and work out of the Stanford D School. Today, we are talking with two wonderful educators. We've got Ron uh, Baghetto, a PhD. He's an internationally recognized expert on creative thought and action in educational settings. He holds the Pinnacle West Presidential Chair and serves as a professor in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. And joining him is Lara McBain, a designer, educator, and the co-director of the K-12 Lab at the Stanford D School. As a human-centered designer, her work focuses on understanding the ecosystems of education and finding meaningful opportunities to advance racial and social justice. Uh, Lara, Ron, thank you both for jumping on for our podcast conversation today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, super fun. Thank you. So uh, you've both completed this book recently, My Favorite Failure, which I'm sure you're going to weave through insights from uh, because we all have a really interesting relationship with failure, of course, and its orientation towards learning and success and performance. Uh, so to help get us there, start us with answering this first question, which is what is something you are learning right now? Something that's kind of coming into your consciousness that you think is really interesting and, and meaningful? I can start. Um, Go for it, Rob. So I've been I've been diving into this idea of uncertainty by design. So in other words, oftentimes I think particularly in educational settings, but also just in life, we try to plan everything down to the last moment. Um, parents plan, you know, structured play activities with their youngsters and yeah. even vacations and and certainly educators design lessons and plan them down to sometimes the last moment and what i realize is when we do that we really seal off opportunities for i think productive uncertainties to emerge openings that could be very creative and generative and so i've been over the several years thinking about you know what if we started pruning away some of these overplanned experiences could that lead to more generative, um, surprising, and even beautiful learning experiences? And can we take that beautiful risk of stepping into that uncertainty? So I've been really diving mm. deep into how do we plan, how do we structure, and how can we learn from pruning practices? How can we remove some of these overstructured experiences? And what would that mean for learning in life? Oh, that's so good, Ron. What a great position to start us at. Um, yeah, the idea that we over-engineer so often, uh, and we maybe think too much like engineers as opposed to gardeners, uh, to allow the emergence, you know, to, to put the conditions there and, and see what happens in education and in life. Lara, what about you? I mean, I think that's connected a lot to run a hundred percent. I love that concept of like what's unexpected or surprising, which is actually a theme that came from our book is like learning should be surprising actually and unexpected. Um, true learning is that way. I think the piece when I think about what I'm really learning about, you know, as a as a designer, as a leader, um, and I think this goes into education is um, is how do we remove and keep in mind? I would say some of the fundamental reminders that like young people and the people that we're serving, whether you're a principal or a school leader or any other leadership role, is that mm -hmm. like people are just complex, loving souls. And putting that at the forefront, I think, is one of the things that we do as educators is that we think about this idea that I have to do this thing, this activity, this idea, this thing I'm doing, whether it's a lesson plan or whatnot. And I think there's this like piece that I'm continuing to always be reminded and um, 
graciously invited back into, I guess, uh, that, you know, people are people are people and they're really soulful human beings that are complex. And my um, attempts to try to serve them are only as good as like my understanding of them. And so for me, what I'm invited to learn into is the complexity and the nuance of like how people are feeling about different moments, about what they're learning, about their lives, where they want to go. Um, you know, I think that young people and anyone um, is more complex than the jobs that they are asked to do. And how do we keep that full spectrum um, alive when we're designing and working with people? I love that, Lara, this idea of the, the full spectrum, like the range that so often I think it speaks to your point as well, Ron, about, you know, being uncertain enables, if, if we don't engineer something, we can actually, it means we can hold space for the entire spectrum of who we are, you know, and the complexity to emerge through that space, I think. Um, take, us, take us into kind of the big idea around this inquiry, you know, my favorite failure. I mean, a lot of people don't have a good relationship with failure. <laughs> um, even as educators, often we're like, oh, it's great. Like, uh, my, my, I'll allow my students to fail because that's the process of learning, but I feel deeply uncomfortable, you know, stepping into the unknown and into the uncertain because, you know, I have a clear role, et cetera. Um, so yeah, take us into that space. What, what are some of the really kind of central premises that you've, you've found and discovered through this work? So I guess a little backstory. Um, when we were kind of approaching this project, I think we both kind of independently in our work noticed that there was this freezing moment when we were inviting young people or anyone we were working with, educators, adults, to design something new, to think about what currently is and what could and should be. Um, and to kind of, you know, enter into the blank page, if you will. So I was yeah. directing Innovation House um, at the University of Connecticut. And these are students that, from all majors that were interested in being innovators. And so we had this curriculum that was like a wireframe curriculum, like, okay, identify a problem and solve it and try to make a positive and lasting contribution and we'll support you. And a lot of the students were frozen in that moment. They'd never been asked to do that. First of all, they didn't believe us. We're like, well, what problem do you want us to solve? And he said, no, really, this is a chance for you to no longer be a spectator of your learning and be an innovator. And uh, what we realized, this team I was working with, is that the students were just really frozen in fear. And we could see that there was something already about failure before they even started. Mm. And so we realized that we need to do something to front load this experience by being honest about not only the fears of what could be a future failure, but what are the failures that we're kind of bringing into mind that are maybe holding us back from stepping into this uncertainty and into this creative space. Mm. And so, you know, we started playing around with telling these stories, myself and my graduate student team, we shared some of our failures. Um, we learned to have other students that worked on similar projects, tell their stories upfront. So to kind of front load um, the experience Right. with instead of like playing some you know cheesy icebreaker like people bingo <laughs> or something what if we got real right away right what oh. if we took the risk and what we realize is when you take that kind of risk it builds trust mm -hmm. and so i was starting to see something there that you know talking about failure at the outset was really powerful and important and that's where kind of laura and i had these kind of parallel experiences and conversations that led into like there's something here um, and maybe we need to start capturing these stories and telling these stories and inviting people to share their stories. Mm. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and it happened similar for me, having been a K-12 educator, we spent a lot of time 
like doing this work either at the end of the semester for me when I was teaching in K-12, or it was like during a conference, these quarterly conversations, if you will. Um, and then, you know, at the D school, like in design, we would have people literally map out their whole design process at the end of the project and talk about what they learned. And it was really fascinating with these beautiful productive struggle maps that we would do, and yet they were done at the end. And it really, this, this question that Ron and I raised is like, how do we actually teach failure? One thing that I think the big idea for me in this book is that most schools, we actually don't teach failure. We, we, or we don't take time to anticipate failure. We teach success and we give young people the litany of rules and things or checklists of how they might be successful. Um, but I actually don't give any airspace to like how it would feel or what it looks like and sounds like to fail in this work. And if we are going to learn, right, and I think learning is a process of iteration and failure, then why aren't we teaching that in schools? We're only teaching people to be successful. And that becomes a binary, often I would say it's a checklist or a binary list of things that they must achieve versus what I think yeah. the, the murkiness or the quilt or the fabric or the mosaic that I think Ron and I uncovered uh, <laughs> in the book which is like the just there's lots of different nuances around failure and how do we get better understanding it and then um, teaching it in such a way at the beginning of work so we can anticipate mm -hmm. what it's going to feel like and sound like so that we can hold the space so that we can de-risk some failure and actually get to the innovative stuff that Ron you're talking about. Yeah and just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit more um, something else we talked about is you know there are some folks that, and you know, I myself have done this, we say we have slogans, like, so you might have a, you know, the cheesy cap poster hang in there, or yeah, you, you can don't do fail it. forward. Yeah, you can yeah, do yeah. it, Climb have some grit, yeah. you know, <laughs> let's have a growth mindset here. Yeah, yeah. But in the midst of failure, all of that's very kind of cognitive, it's all in the mind. Um, and what we started realizing, and, and this certainly came out in our work in this book, is that failure is this kind of full body, completely emotionally saturated experience. And those slogans just turn into sawdust mm -hmm. and almost an insult to people, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when somebody's really in the midst of a, of really difficult and surprising setback or failure, it's almost insulting um, to you know, try to put some slogan on it, like yeah. learn from this, you know, this is to a see, great yeah. learning to opportunity. To see the smiling mountain climber just like glaring at you from <laughs> yeah. the poster. It's like, you don't yeah. even know. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it, is, it doesn't even come close. It's this full body thing. And I mean, there are stories in the book where it's like, as Ron, I like gut wrenching stories. And it's like these wow. full body emotional experiences. And like, how do we give nuance to that and give space for that in classrooms? And like let the air out of some of those pieces because often you know so much of failure is this individual experience and i'm literally like freaking out in my moment or having this moment where i know that i'm failing and it's not talked about like or it's talked about at home or it's internalized for lots of different reasons and how do we like really move beyond that and get into the conversations you know that you know ron you and i are talking about which is like the learning struggle which is learning is productive struggle. And how do we actually talk about that more often um, in schools? I'd love to, I'd love to zoom in on, on one of the aspects that you would have explored the difference, but you know, and I think you spoke about this beautifully, Ron, like failure is a full body experience. You know, it's, we don't just think about, it, we really feel it in our body and even in our social connection, uh, you know, like it's pretty heavy emotions like guilt or shame or like fear of being isolated or rejected. I mean, these things are in the moment, 
when a fa- when you're experiencing a failure of some sort or an, or like an embarrassing moment, um, and I'm sure many of us have many of these examples in our lives. I'd love us. I'd love you to talk about the difference between being in the moment and also the fear of that moment. You know, in some ways, like the fear of the fear of that moment seems to be this piece, and eventually we can just kind of stay in this lane where. We, we actually don't live a full spectrum life. We don't certainly have a full spectrum experience of education in K-12 or in higher education or in vocational or the workforce because we're just paralyzed in some ways by, by the fear of having those same, the reactivation of those experiences in the past. How have you explored that? What did people say in, in, in your work? Yeah, that's so good. I mean, um, something, so I think it's worth kind of just sharing how we put this book together because we kind of took a risk and it was super fun for us actually and, and very insightful. So we asked folks to submit stories and we couldn't include them all and they can include artwork and everything is anything they wanted to kind of communicate their experience of failure. And so what we ended up doing actually is we had these Zoom calls, we would read these narratives, then we'd have these Zoom calls and we'd talk about them and a concept would emerge like frozen or embarrassment or whatever. Um, And so a lot of these stories, like you said, do describe a moment and people being in this moment, but something we learned from these stories and through our conversations and dialogue around these stories uh, was this idea that it's shared. Like when somebody is giving a presentation and they freeze, everybody feels that everyone feels frozen. And there's a, this beautiful story in there in a moment where somebody who's telling a story of freezing in this kind of high stakes presentation, somebody in the audience, um, you know, starts clapping and, and literally breaks the ice. Oh, wow. Takes yeah. the ice, yeah. melts the icicles. And this got us to thinking about um, riffing off this story. Like maybe we have, maybe we've been thinking about failure completely um, backwards, that it's not an individual moment it's a shared moment and if it's a shared moment then we all have a responsibility when we are going into these kind of uncertain moments and then in the moment to break the ice to unfreeze the moment to to be there with them to say it's not just you with the spotlight on you we're all in this together right and how can we step into that and what is our responsibility to anticipate and act you know, prior to, during, and after? And can we build this kind of ethos and this culture in whatever space we're in to anticipate have, and just let each other know we're there for you? You know, we, this might be a disaster, but we're gonna learn <laughs> together from it. And we're gonna share this moment together. It's yeah. a very different lens that I think we got through these narratives. Um, but yeah, Laura. Well, I mean, and not surprising, Luca, we riff a lot, Brad and I, but like, I mean, one of the trends in the book is this concept, as you mentioned, of like feel a fear of failure, if you will, is a phrase, right? And one of the things that I think you're de-risking failure is this question we rate this facet, which is around disappointment. And what Ron is suggesting, I think, which is great, is just like the more that we can actually talk about failure, we can start naming the emotions that are connected to that moment. Fear of failures really could be a fear of expectation. It could be fear of meeting, meeting expectations or having been disappointed before. And then knowing that that feeling is going to come again. And so I refuse to do the thing or I get frozen because I'm so worried that I'm going to feel disappointed again. And, you know, for, I think part of our aim in the, in these stories is to like start naming these things and saying, 
yeah, that was a disappointing moment. That does not encompass your learning trajectory. Yeah. It's just, just a disappointing moment that happens. So how do we give some space to that as we like understand these stories? Because if you can do that, then you can name this moment and actually disconnect from the moment I'm having from the person that I am. And right. if we can have those conversations, right. then, right, we can have these moments of like, how do I take the next risk and have a, con- a risk, excuse me, and I can have a conversation about it. And I think that's, to me, it was like a very interesting insight. And we don't talk about the disappointments from projects, classrooms, schools. And if you just have a whole litany of disappointments show up in schools, it's to me, it's no wonder young people are disengaged because like they've been disappointed like for 20 years, 18 years. <laughs> so why would they? And so how do we like, you know, talk about those types of things? I, I love these reflections that failure is a kind of, it's a collective experience. And, you know, when you're watching someone not maybe meet the expectations they place on themselves. It really like, well, actually like even in our own brains, we have the mirror neurons, everything's also firing going, oh, can we, you know, it, it can be such a collective experience. And I mean, we could, I don't know. I wonder what the strong, the strong hypothesis of this would be like without, a, without a social context, there can be no failure potentially. I mean, without a set of expectations, how can there ever be disappointment is an interesting kind of thing to consider, I guess. Mm-hmm. What, what I'd, um, what I'm interested in as well, and I think you've already spoken about, Ron, you know, being able to open up, you know, by de-risking failure, by, by rather than saying, okay, here's like the, the bingo, go and find someone that, you know, it's the same birthday. Um, you know, actually being able to share vulnerably and openly, you know, these are the failures that I've had. What are some of the other kind of processes or artifacts or, you know, protocols you can utilize that really de-risk failure really quickly, um, you know, outside of having a really supportive container culture? Um, where people feel held within that culture to be their full selves. You know, what are some of the other things? Like one thing I could recall is, you know, a fail CV as one of the things where you actually start to like, well, yeah, here's my CV of all my successes. Here's my LinkedIn, right? Doesn't that look good? Or here's my social media. But actually here's the truth. Here's the kind of all the the times I've been knocked back. What are some of the things that came through? Yeah. Yeah, so we have this um, we have this little five question structure. It's super simple. Um, It's the narrative structure that we use. And anybody can adapt this for any situation. So imagine a math teacher, for example, at the start of the school year saying, um, you know, before we start, you know, some people enjoy math, some people dread it, some people feel like they can't be good at it. We're gonna share some stories about our favorite failures. And the idea of favorite failure itself is already disarming because it's it's yeah. purposefully yeah. blending a positive with a seeming negative. So it's already That's meant great. to kind of destabilize that concept, but it's really these five questions. So think about a time you tried something new or important and it didn't work out. And so that could be, think about a time you took a math test and it didn't work out for you. And then the next question is, what did you feel when that happened? So we are trying to front load the emotion. And so again, in school, there are some emotions allowed, positive emotions, but negative emotions are almost never allowed. Like, oh, you don't have to be upset. But we know in our personal lives, when we're upset and somebody says, you don't have to be upset, that's infuriating, to, to put it mildly, yeah. right? Yeah, it doesn't allow the emotion. Yeah, put a smile on your dial. It's like, I don't feel yeah. like that right now. Yeah, yeah forget it. Get out of here. Right? So, we, so that's the second question is front-loading the emotion. Then we talk about learning. What did you learn about that situation? Then the fourth question is, what did you learn about yourself? And finally, why is this your favorite failure? And it has to start, we would argue, with if it's a classroom, the teacher should share a story about their own 
failure in math, for example, and then invite people to do that in small groups or together and, and share those stories, you know, in different ways where they feel safe doing so. But again, this builds a completely different kind of math classroom from the day one. Yeah. It's already a completely yeah. different experience. So that's yeah. our simple little framework and it can be applied in different settings. Well, and it's, it's, it's a story-based piece because I think there's something about, Ron, I'm thinking back to like exercises that you and I have led actually, like pre-mortems or something like that, which are good sometimes, right? And I think those disconnect from the emotional piece. And I think mm. part of like the, the architect that we're trying to get at is like, we've all experienced failure. There's been a, a lot of them in our lives. We all have had them. And how do we like remind our, ourselves um, and our internal selves about like, it's okay to have these moments of failure. And I'm, I might feel uncomfortable. I might feel that just a little bit of a reminder, like this is what learning is. If we can start that, then it kind of de-risks this idea of like, oh, I'm going to make, I might have a failure in this class. And I actually get to talk about that with someone as opposed to I'm going to sit in isolation when I'm failing yeah. and then I'm going to yeah. disengage, which is like one path, right? Versus I failed. I actually have a group of people I can talk with about what that felt like and what I learned from that. And that's a different path. Um, and I think for Ron and I, like, I think that second path is just more interesting. And also from an innovation perspective, that's like the only way you get there. Like is really the only way you can get there is really start talking about what you learned um, about yourself and the situation. Uh, it, it just really picks up so much about, you know, the fields of emotional awareness, fields of organizational culture, you know, and I, I think the link to mindset is something I'd love you both to reflect on as well. I mean, clearly by using these types of um, processes, by sharing openly, you know, we're shifting mindset. I mean, the, the example of the math classroom is a great example. Because we have, of course, the research that shows that young people enter maths in primary school already with a fixed mindset about their capability in maths, despite the fact they, had, they haven't had any instruction in it yet. And that, that comes from kind of the socialization from parents saying, I'm not a maths guy or I didn't do well in maths, you know. And so, you know, but of course, the, the, the more you fail, you know, productively, and I, I guess that's also a distinction, you know, there's productive struggle and then there's just struggle. And like, how do we know the difference between those two things, Lara? I'd love you to try to answer yeah. that one. But yeah, I mean, take, take us on that journey around the connection of, to mindset, I think, over time. Because yeah. it does seem to be this idea that, you know, your learning velocity in some ways is so determined by your capacity to fail. And that's certainly been my own lived experience as, a, as an adult language learner of other languages. You just have to fail constantly and publicly. And frankly, the more and quick, more quickly you do that, the better your capability becomes uh, to step into whatever the language sphere might be. So, yeah, where do you want to start us on that mindset? And then, you know, some of the other aspects there. Well, I guess I'll start. One of the, te you know, the tenants or fabrics we uncovered is this question of curiosity. And I think one of the things that we like, again, around product struggle and failure is like, we were thinking about, again, if we go off, the, I don't want to like uh, go on the math strain here, but like, if you think about a, it's like a math costume <laughs> yeah. where young people are doing the same exercise over and over and over again, and they're not curious about it. That actually doesn't feel like productive struggle. That just feels yeah. like ongoing yeah. torture. Right. So why would I do that? And so in one story, for example, uh, there's a woman who tried, I think, was it 27 times, Ron, that she tried? Or 13 times, excuse me, for an application because she was so curious about how it would change her. And I think there's a lot, I think there's this interesting piece about when you're situating a classroom um, or you're setting up your classroom or you're setting up a lesson plan is like, how um, is this going to spark curiosity? 
Because if it doesn't spark curiosity in myself or in others, why would I actually want to productively struggle through it? Like, why would I even spend my time? That doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. And so I think one of the things that we're learning around the disposition is like to, you know, to fail, we actually have to get curious about not only what we want to learn, but see the curiosity in our young people and then like create situations where we can get more curious and we actually can fail at those because I think one insight that we realize is that our curiosity is what drives us through those failure moments. And if that's not there, why would I do, if I'm not curious about it, it's really going to put a block hold. And so we can imagine a lot of classrooms, um, you know, around the country and around the globe um, where their curiosity is not part of it. It's just something you have to learn and you get through it. And then you wonder why students don't want to fail at it because, you know, this concept of curiosity was just not embedded in any of it um, beyond the things that young people are supposed to memorize and do. I hate to quote a philosopher, but this idea of, you know, the one, the one who has a why to live by can bear almost any how. I mean, it's the same, the one who has a why to learn with can bear, you know, the failures in some ways. I mean, that's a Nitschke line. And I think it's so, so good. This is, again, the case for purpose, which drives curiosity, yeah. perhaps, Lara. You know, it's like, well, why am I doing, you know, you really are attached to it and some of the project-based work and, and other innovation work. Ron, what would you add here? Yeah, so I think, that, so there's like these two ends of this spectrum. So there is this kind of, and there are these stories of, you know, incredible persistence. And I think that kind of aligns with, you know, a growth mindset and productive struggle and, and having this why carry you through and the curiosity. There's also stories in there about the importance of knowing when to let something go and uh-huh. pivot, right? And so I think that's kind of where growth mindset at least the way it's sometimes implemented, you know, I'm not going to speak for Carol Dweck, (laughs) but I think in practice, sometimes it it falls short that a growth mindset doesn't matter and it can be counterproductive in some situations. So we have a story of prolonged failure in there where we have a a very accomplished scholar now who was in engineering school in India and it was just miserable. It was just Mm. one failure after another And it became this moment of just letting that go and pursuing a passion in design, right? And in education. And so, um, and that was an extremely prolonged and painful failure. And so in that case, it's not really about, you know, you keep persisting. And so you finished engineering school. Now you need to become an engineer and you just need to suffer through it. And it doesn't, you know, even Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill (laughs) was able to find some meaning in that, right? But if you're not (laughs) going to find meaning in that, then it is torturous. And there's no need to do that. And I think it can really stifle um, what you can bring to the world if you are just constantly feeling like you're in a state of failure. So I think part of that curiosity, too, is just opening yourself to different possibilities and realizing that sometimes it's okay to set something down and pick something up new that's more kind of aligned with who you are and where and how you want to be in this world and so i think that's important and i think those kinds of messages get lost there's all it's always about grit and persistence and stick yeah, to it yeah finish yeah. the project you know what so what what if a kid's yeah. writing a term paper and it's due tomorrow and in the midst of their research they find this little kernel that's a completely different topic yeah and they and they write the thesis statement of that why can't they just say look i did all this work on this other paper and i don't want to do it anymore but I'm super passionate about this. And here's my thesis statement. I just have the first sentence. Why isn't that okay? I mean, have you ever heard of that in school? Why not? That's, that's, that's I think a, that would be a beautiful a moment. Yeah. 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 That really, it is so, it's so profound. I mean, and the expectations we place on, 
completion, I think is part of that run as well. Yeah. It's like, we must, fi- you set out on this journey, you must finish the journey. Otherwise you're a quitter, you know, like heaven forbid that, you know, in that moment, a moment of true transformation, you, you have a deep realization about something in your life or your learning path. Um, yeah, our system, it, doesn't, it feels like to me, our systems are not at all well equipped to deal with those types of deep breakthrough insights. You know, it's no. like, no, well, actually, you know, even, even people that do, you know, three quarters of a degree. And of course, the question is, well, why didn't you finish the last semester? It's like, well, because I had a transformation and now I'm doing this, which brings me joy and I feel aligned, you know, but still, there's still this piece around, oh, well, you didn't actually finish out that. That's, that's such an interesting insight, I think. Um, for us to reflect on. Um, team, I, I'd love, this has been a great conversation. Congratulations <laughs> on this book, by the way, My Favorite Failure, How Setbacks Can Lead to Learning and Growth. I would love both of you just to think about what's a take home message you wanna leave with us? You know, we've covered some good ground. Um, what would you like to leave us pondering in our own lives of learning and work as we set forth, you know, thinking about what we let go of, Ron, and, and you know, what we might continue going on with Laura? I mean, I think I'll just jump in, but I think, you know, I think the letting go or the final takeaway, if you will, is like, what are, what is someone's favorite? What is your favorite failure? I think thinking about that question in and of itself is the takeaway. I think part of we need to do is do our own self work around like, when have we failed? What has been our favorite failure? What was that moment? How did that feel? What did that situation teach us? What does it taught us about ourselves? Um, I think, I think that's the takeaway is like the more that we can get clear and understanding those stories, because there's probably maybe more than there's probably lots. Of, I think Ron and I could probably write an addendum to this book or another book, which is favorite <laughs> failures. Um, yeah. But I think that is the takeaway is like, I think our ability to like really understand our failures um, and really demyth this question about like, you know, at least here, especially in California, there's this myth that like I failed and then I failed 12 times and then I created this prototype and now I'm a billionaire. Like there's this like story myth, mythological yeah. idea, which is now what this book's about. Uh, instead, like talking about our everyday moments of our favorite failures. So when I think for me, it's like, you know, you know, think about your own favorite failures and what are those and how those change you. Yeah, I love that, Laura. And I think for me and in align with that, and it's kind of what we communicate in the book as well is let's take a challenge. Let's challenge ourselves. So let's take this beautiful risk. Next time any of us, anyone listening to this and the three of us are in front of a young person, um, let's share a story of our favorite failure. Why don't we just start and see what happens, right? And so if you're helping a young person with school or it could be anything, sport or just any interest, or it could just be the conversation, you know what? I just want to tell you a story about a time in my life, right? And just share that story. It could be in the car on the way to school to be the, you know, vacations coming up holidays here. So I think sharing those as many times as possible, and certainly for teachers, the next time you're in front of your class, why not? Why not just take a minute and share those? So I encourage everyone to take the beautiful risk of sharing their own favorite failures and then inviting other people to do the same. Could be a good dinner party activity. Uh, it would be a great <laughs> dinner party activity. That is so good. Yeah, a, a, a set of cards for us to all, you know, dive into that as well. Um, you know, a failure dinner celebration of it all. Um, Lara McBain, Ron Baghetto, it's been delight to speak with you both today. And yeah, to really delve into our favorite failure 
and failures and, and you know the kind of the relationship that we all have to failure in, in learning and in life so thank you both for joining us for the learning future podcast and all the best thank you so much it was fun thanks so much this was great if you want to know more about the great work that Ron and Lara are doing, uh, do check out their book, My Favorite Failure, How Setbacks Can Lead to Learning and Growth, available absolutely everywhere online. And uh, in the meantime, be well, keep failing, and, uh, and doing the work on your relationship with failure. All the best. Mm-hmm.